We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the RotoWire NFL podcast. This is our sort of emergency final one here with... About 48 hours to go until the draft officially gets underway, and some of the uh, craziness, Mario, has already gotten gotten started here as of Tuesday afternoon. We saw some movement, uh, namely or specifically uh, Frank Clark, a, a franchise-tagged player, I believe, by the Seahawks, or was, yeah. was going to be... Uh, Obviously, he's had a very productive start to his career. Uh, on the move, now he's going to the Chiefs. What are the exact uh, specifics of that deal? Well, it looks like the Chiefs are giving up their 29th overall pick for this year, second rounder for 2020, and then the two teams are swapping their respective third rounders for this year, which uh, I believe moves up the Chiefs eight spots, so whatever. But that that's a... In the bigger picture for Kansas City, that's basically kind of like trading D Ford uh, and the, basically the second round pick that they got for the 49ers being a, a potential. Uh, I don't remember if that was 2020 or 2019, actually. But in any case, it's like they had D Ford, they had Justin Houston, who they cut. D Ford was also a free agent who they just kind of like tagged as a formality, traded him to the 49ers. And so. They're basically like trading Ford the 29th pick for the opportunity to extend Frank Clark as a free agent. And so that's going to be a really expensive contract, 20 million plus probably. It's one of those things where 
Uh, I don't think anybody disputes that Clark is a really, really talented player. He's much better than D Ford. I think, I don't think Ford is particularly good, but it's like, I, I mentioned him earlier because it's not just that they also cut Houston who I think can still play, but they're, they gave up a lot of money for the opportunity to basically like sign a free agent, which is kind of dumb. Like you want to trade draft pick assets for kind of just a, a, another solid asset that you don't have to like invest more into. It's just not very good use of resources. And uh, if Pat Mahomes has another season vaguely and I, by vaguely uh, like last year, I mean, just 35 touchdowns like he's going to regress a lot because like Sammy Watkins is bad foot Kelsey's coming back from an ankle surgery who knows what's going to happen with Tyree kill and that's the other thing that's kind of weird about this trade from Kansas City's point of view is there there's not one solid account on what happened with Frank Clark and his domestic violence issue but like did he not get kicked off the Michigan team for it? I thought he did. No, I don't think he did. Oh, he didn't? Okay. No. Uh, in any case, like it was it was a bad thing that that was, if the details are to be you know believed. And it's a weird thing to invite when you're the team that just cut Kareem Hunt. And uh, you, know, you got this thing with Tyree Kill, and who knows where that's going. So it's, it's a weird thing to do from that PR angle, and then also just kind of like why not just sign a free agent defensive end next time? Like why not, why not instead of trading a first and a second round pick for the opportunity to give a contract to Frank Clark, why not just sign like Preston Smith or something like that and draft another good player? I don't know. Uh, another two good players potentially. Yeah. Because looking at the, looking at the exact figures now, it they're paying so much in draft capital to kind of overpay Frank Clark potentially. I mean, we're talking about a, a contract here. According to Adam Schefter of ESPN, uh, agreement on a five-year, $105.5 million contract. So that's more than Demarcus Lawrence uh, with $63.5 million. Yeah, I don't think guarantee. he's better than Lawrence. I think I think Lawrence is the better player. Uh, but yeah, he Frank Clark... the political things that you mentioned, too. Right, and Frank Clark was actually dismissed from the Michigan program for that. So it's like whatever they might have done that like without listening to the details as like a preemptive damage control thing but like michigan a team that you know always wants to compete frank clark a very talented player at one of the most important positions and they said like get out so it's uh it's a weird situation for them to wade into is all and as much as you know seattle does have that russell wilson contract which makes it harder to sign um, oh, I forgot to complete my last point. Sorry. Uh, if Mahomes has a season vaguely like last year, he's going to hold out if they don't extend him, I bet, because why? I mean, he should. He should be getting paid like $30 million a year right now, and I don't know what his rookie contract is, but it's not that. Right. So they're going to be in that same situation as Seattle potentially as soon as next year. And Seattle, I think, smartly said like, oh, well, we don't want to be in that situation. So uh, does anyone want to give us a first and second round pick for this guy we can't really keep anyway? And, uh, I mean, they would have kept him, but it would have been a contentious thing, like repeatedly tagging him basically indefinitely. So it seems to me like an error on Kansas City's part, uh, short-sighted at best, because, yes, Frank Clark will be very good, but the sum from last year won't necessarily be any better. Like what Ford and Houston did might not necessarily be matched by Ogba and Frank Clark 
this year, despite paying a lot more for the second case. Yeah, and you know we were talking off air this morning just about this Kansas City team as a whole, and you know you touched on it right there. It does kind of feel like they're walking on thin ice a little oh, yeah. bit with, it, with this roster, and uh, for them to give up that that level of draft capital, especially when something that I felt was like one of the most glaring needs that they had was something that they were very much at pick 29 in position to address. And that's the cornerback position where, uh, you know, even if greedy Williams was off the board or or Deandre Baker, they still could have had their pick of, you know, one of Baker, Byron Murphy, uh, Rocky, (coughs) Rocky, sin from, from temple. A couple other guys have kind of entered the mix as people's pet favorites at, at the cornerback spot, but either way, they could have gotten one of the, three, four, uh, maybe even five best cornerbacks in this class. Now that now they're out of that, and obviously we saw that being a huge deficiency on their defense, it kind of ended up costing them the AFC Championship game last year, and now they don't really get to do a whole lot about it. They appear to be banking on Bashad Breland and Kendall Fuller, and I don't know, it might work. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I I feel like their template from last year was pretty simply like, have Mahomes be impossible to stop and when you give him Tyree Kill Travis Kelsey Sammy Watkins he is indeed impossible to stop but if Tyree Kill is not out there that's a very different question if Sammy Watkins even isn't out there we saw that complicate things when he wasn't playing last year if Kelsey has any sort of complications with this ankle surgery like the whole thing can turn to crap just right there because then it turns out like oh right what is Frank Clark worth what is the difference between a bad pass rush and a decent one when the offense isn't good enough to capitalize anyway. So I feel like they really should have stayed in the first round, taken whichever, like they didn't need any particular type of receiver. It's just like anybody good who can run routes in a three receiver set. So, you know, be it AJ Brown, uh, you know, whoever at the late first range and kill Harry, something like that. I feel like they would have been a easily overlooked perhaps, but still very worthwhile insurance for the whole blueprint that they showed last year and now i think they're putting themselves at very serious risk of just having the blueprint blueprint implode so it could work but like you said it's like they're at at best they've given themselves like a very thin margin of error yeah so it it does really appear that way uh shifting gears here uh you you just touched on what what would have made sense for the for the chiefs at 29 uh you released a mock draft over the weekend uh, your your mock draft for this uh, season. So the first five that you have coming off the board: Kyler Murray, Nick Bosa uh, to the to the 49ers, uh, New York Jets taking Ed Oliver, Oakland getting Quinn and Williams, and Tampa Bay going ahead and getting uh, Josh Allen out of Kentucky. Do you still feel that way as of Tuesday, two days before the draft? That that that's a, a top five that's probably going to shake out that way. I don't really feel strongly about the third pick. The f- or even the fourth necessarily, definitely not the fifth. With Tampa Bay, I understand that Devin White, uh, that is the LSU one, right? Then Bush yes. is Michigan. Okay. Uh, so I know Devin White is the consensus projection there, but they have uh, Levante David already, and they, they got somebody else I can't remember who's just like a kind of decent uh, stopgap inside linebacker. But then for outside linebacker, it does it's not really clear what they're going to do. Like Jason Pierre-Paul... Maybe Noah Spence will be the the edge rushers when it's nickel. Uh, but 3-4 is what Todd Bowles runs. It's what Bruce Arians ran when he was in Arizona, and Bowles was his defensive coordinator. So P- 
Pierre Paul's probably not, at least at this stage of his career, a guy you have standing up outside in a 3-4 base. Uh, Spence could be able to. He's certainly small enough to project there, but they don't have a real edge rusher. And, you know, you can, I think, see maybe uh, their... Oh, it's Dion Buchanan. That's who they signed. So why... That seems weird to me. I guess I'm still a Dion Buchanan truther. I think he's good. I think Steve Wilkes is the problem from last year because no one was complaining about Dion Buchanan when it was uh, uh, James Betcher running the defense or Todd Bowles running the defense under Arians. So if they're running a 3-4, even if they're running a 3-4... They have Devante, Levante David, Dion Buchanan on the inside. On the outside, not as much. Shaquille Barrett's okay. Like he, he gave some snaps for Denver at least the past couple of years. Otherwise, they don't have anything. It's it's maybe Pierre Paul, but I can imagine it being more like he just doesn't play in the base formation. He only plays in nickel, still gets to like 700 snaps, something like that, or you know maybe 100 snaps as a true outside linebacker. I don't know. But on the other side, it's Noah Spence or nothing. Uh, or, or Barrett and it's I don't know Allen isn't exactly like some mega prospect or something but he had pretty convincing production at Kentucky and, and the workout numbers were really good too so three fours don't work if you can't rush the edge and I don't know if they can do that without someone like Josh Allen yeah as it like you said I, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it and it you know especially when this whole draft season everyone is and myself included it was guilty of this uh just kind of projecting that they're going you know with quan alexander leaving and uh was a free agency it was yeah yeah um, that it just made so much sense to get a guy like devin white and especially and it still does he's really good but it's just like pass rush is more important than inside off ball linebackers yes no that that's definitely true and, and alan i think is the best one of of that specific position in in this draft i just think if posed with that, I think Allen is is a definite possibility, maybe more likely to go to Tampa Bay than um, than a Devin White is. But I think a lot of people believe that, that Allen is off the board by the time that the Buccaneers are picking at five. That could happen. I, I alluded to not feeling strongly about the third pick, and I guess it's because the one of the more open secrets about the draft right now is that the Jets are trying to trade down. I don't know who would trade up necessarily there because uh, if if it's not Tampa go, gunning for Josh Allen, then it's not Josh Allen at the third pick. I don't know if there's anyone who would specifically trade up for Ed Oliver as much as I think he totally is worth trading up for. So I just I don't know if the Jets will have that option or it might be one of those things where they have to settle for trading all the way back to like the 10th pick and only getting like a third or something like that. Whereas they're more so thinking like we might get another first round pick next year. And I don't know if there's a market for anything like yeah, that. It's going to be tough to move to move down in this top five, I think. Yeah. So they're trying to, I don't know whether there's going to be much of a market for it. And if they're staying put, then to me, Oliver is the obvious choice, but it's hard to read into the weird culture war things that the NFL is factoring into the Ed Oliver market because I mean, with the McGinn quotes that leaked the other day about, you know, the, the ridiculous fogey scouts who give anonymous quotes to McGinn for the past uh, 20 years or whatever. They're just like, ma- they're mad that uh, he's a trash talker, apparently, which I don't believe. That's that's like a, that's something that a scout says when they're trying to reinforce a conclusion that they started with. They're starting with the conclusion like, I don't like Ed Oliver. He doesn't do what he's told. He's insubordinate. And along with that uh let's see he uh doesn't wear matching socks he uh is 
uh, into anime. He doesn't uh, listen to his coaches, and then it's like, ah, that's the part you care about. You're you're mad that he showed up Major Applewhite for being a total doofus at Houston. Like these people just follow some, you know, some doctrine of just like hierarchical hierarchical subordination. And Ed Oliver was like, oh, no, I don't need you, Major Applewhite. I don't need Houston even. Like, I'm an NFL player. No, uh, you guys really don't scare me. He could have sat out this whole last year yeah. and been in the same spot. It's like He was NFL ready pretty much coming out of high school, and he still is a monstrous talent. And, like, I think it's only because of, uh, as the scout alluded to, at the, or as the scout said at the very end, his, his real agenda was that he didn't think that Oliver would be loyal to any team that drafted him, which loyalty you can you can read as code for again subordination. So it's ridiculous, petty, you know, caste system thinking that these entitled reactionary morons care about more than like actually having good football teams. So that's the part that complicates the Oliver thing. Like if if it weren't for that, I I'm not even convinced that Bosa's better than I know they do different things, but I just think Oliver is very clearly one of the best prospects in like the past 10 years. Yeah, he's a, he's a total game wrecker and, you know, he's got an interesting frame. Obviously, you're not going to stick him like right o- like playing like the zero technique or anything like that, but uh, you know, if you move him between the the guard and the tackle and just let him go to work, like he can be an absolute stud. So, I I really like him. I think that at 3 he makes some sense. I still would imagine that that Quinn and Williams is higher. He's on really, really good. Yeah, um, but I think either way you slice it, like both those guys are going to be longtime producers, in my opinion. Yeah, Quinn and Williams looks, <clears throat> excuse me, really, really good. Also, like it, it could, it could very easily be an Endemicong Sue Gerald McCoy situation between Oliver and Williams. Not to call them perfectly, that uh, you know, analogous comparisons there, but those are the kinds of. Uh, NFL impacts I expect from those two players. And then Josh Allen gets to be uh, Aaron Curry. Oh no! <laughs> well, he was he was a four three outside guy, so uh, that ho- hopefully that is not his fate. But uh, yeah, t- Tampa. One of uh, these guys is going to miss though. Yeah, the odds <laughs> odds are, but I don't think it's. I feel very confident it won't be Bosa, Oliver, Williams. But it's like that doesn't. I don't want to use like the process of elimination to be like. I guess Josh Allen's cursed yeah. then as a result. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. Yeah. But I don't. I don't know. It. it it's always you know a, a crapshoot with this stuff. But I. I just don't think it's the case for Bosa, Oliver, Williams. I think they're guys in weaker classes that could have gone first overall and no one at that time would have been you know raising any sort of objection zooming out just just a second just to touch on alabama here because they've obviously been churning out uh first round defensive line talents for you know at least the the last decade ever you know pretty much since saban really got the machine just put a hyphen question mark it's yeah all all the way yeah back to the 0809 but like do you feel like Williams, I mean, he he projects to go the highest among these Alabama defensive linemen that have come out in recent years. Do you really feel like he's the best of them, though? I mean, like we're talking like Josh, well, or, uh, Jonathan Allen and so on. Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, I think, had a really good rookie year for Washington last year. I I feel like by just prospect profile terms, he has to be ahead of those guys as much as like 
now that we know that Allen and Payne, and I'm probably forgetting somebody. Sean Hand, yeah. John Robinson. Like, now that we know a few of those guys are really good, there's the argument to make, well, you take now the sure thing. But if you're going back, if you're removing any sort of hindsight from it, then I think Quinn Williams is kind of in his own category, even amongst those guys. And okay. that's not meant to slight. Allen fell a little bit because he had some kind of medical yeah, issue shoulder, or something. Shoulder, so yeah, he was supposed to be like a top five kind of guy, but... I don't know. I feel like Williams, who had very good athletic testing and is very young and accomplished for his age, uh, he he easily stood out on a team that was similarly talented or as much or more talented as what the other guys were on. And so it's like when you're when you're playing among the best and you're not as old as everybody around you and you still immediately stand out from the rest of them, then you also test very well like he did. I, I think it's. Uh, it's one of those things where it's you know it's no slight to the other guys, but it's they didn't have as much going for them when they came out as he does. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the way the way you put that definitely uh, makes sense. Uh, so moving outside the top five now, I really can't make a good judgment on what the Giants are going to do at number six <laughs> because I'm feeling less and less confident, and it's reflected also in your mock, but it, it feels all the more likely now that Dwayne Haskins is not going to be a giant, at least at number six, but I don't really love the offensive linemen that, that are, that are going to be available at six, which is all of them, any of them, uh, you name it. Uh, you have Jonah Williams going. I think that that makes some sense. I, I think Juwan Taylor, he might have bus written all over him. Actually. People um, like him a lot and I don't claim to know anything about offensive linemen, but with, with Jonah Williams, he was a freshman starter, I believe on that team. Yep. <clears throat> and excuse me, uh, I know he had the short arms, but it's like he tested fine otherwise. And the short arm thing the hasn't... Arm, it looked bad to me on film, though, like on a case oh, okay. with the arms, like where he's not able to reach out and engage a, a, an oncoming rusher and a guy will just kind of like swat his arms down and like is suddenly past him. So th- that sounds more... I mean, not to diminish the... I mean, it could still be a problem, the, the short arms, uh, but that kind of sounds to me a little bit more like a hands issue but without a you know meaning to claim that i know anything about it all that much i I tend to try to like outsource certain questions to certain you know like i don't know what the term is like heuristics or something and it's like it's kind of similar logic to quinn and williams where I'm, i'm just thinking alabama always has the best offensive line jonah williams started for them and was like one of their best players on it as a true freshman it's like the arms are probably a limitation of some kind, but I feel like he's laid out enough data in front of us that indicates he can overcome it. Um, in any case, with the Giants, he would be a right tackle because they still have Nate Solder, and uh, maybe I just had the wrong line of thinking. Maybe it's off. Maybe offensive line is not something that would interest the Giants there, even if they aren't taking Daniel Jones at six. But I feel strongly that they won't take Daniel Jones at six. I think it's. It's just one of those things like you can't convince me that reality is that stupid. Like if nope. if it happens, I'm going into like serious uh, dissociation scenario, something like that. <laughs> but I think that um, it's, maybe like Devin White would have been a better pick than Jonah Williams there. Because I, I felt weird having White fall to seven. Like I feel like he's he looks like a really insanely good linebacker prospect. Like as, as much as that's a uh, diminished value position nowadays. I feel like he could be an exception. Like he, he could be like a Levante David kind of guy. He's who better can, than Ogletree right now. 
Oh, for sure. Um, James Betcher is a really good defensive coordinator, and the the reasoning I used to to go with Jonah Williams instead was that they're gonna take Daniel Jones later. Which maybe not even that. Maybe it's just maybe they're actually in on Drew Locke or even Will Greer and David Gettleman just thinks he's he's doing like Professor Chaos pranks on us. <laughs> like he's he thinks that he's like doing some sort of like evil genius great feat, and it's just like haha! I took Will Greer actually. I made a different bad quarterback pick fooled you all this um, easter egg is filled with mayonnaise instead of chocolate yeah i think those are the kind of easter eggs he prefers also like that's just kind of that he's just got good taste like that <laughs> but in any case uh the reasoning that i was kind of using was like well if they are taking a quarterback maybe they double down on ensuring their success by trying to give them like a flawless offensive line or something like that but if you gave james betcher devin white he would make him an all pro within like a couple of years i bet yeah i could i could definitely see that but i, I just i feel like the giants are probably going to go offensive line at, at six. oh really okay as long, as long as they keep that pick again like i don't love any of the offensive line prospects there but <coughs> it, it does make sense uh, to an extent certainly i think for them probably right now more so than, than devin white but uh we'll have to see um but i think the giants are just kind of like what we were saying with the jets although the jets are in a better position uh picking it you know picking third rather than six but again it's gonna be tough to trade down out of this top 10 i just don't think that many people are gonna be like jumping at the bit to trade up other than maybe like the raiders or somebody if they wanted to get crazy and, and trade into the number one pick for for kyler murray i just have a hard time seeing any of these teams picking inside the top 10 being able to convince teams picking outside of the top 10 to like hey give us a bunch of draft capital for a guy that you probably could get if you stayed put anyway yeah i don't say this with any particular evidence but i feel like particularly in the top 10 if you're talking trade up um and especially if you're like a team in the top half of the round anyway if you're talking trade up that's either you're chasing a quarterback or you're thinking win now in some form and it's like if you were bad last year why would you be thinking that way necessarily like that that might be a little you might be succumbing like, to hubris like a bit pa- there be like the packers maybe or the only team or or like uh i guess so yeah the packers would 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 fit one of those bill obviously they already have aaron Rodgers, but like and maybe the jags or like something but it's it would specifically be one of those defensive tackles or bosa that you would trade up for like no one's trading up for a quarterback because kyler murray's going first whatever stuff we hear to the contrary is just kime like trying desperately to uh make people forget bring bring home bring home a little treat you know like lay a dead mouse in front of you uh, like a cat and hoping that you don't remember that it puked on the carpet yesterday <laughs> but I, f- I feel like um that's the only that's like the only thing going on with murray there so i don't think that pick is truly on the market at all uh, it's just josh rosen that's on the market but uh yeah so it's if you're not trading up for one of those three defensive linemen which i don't think the jags would based on their current roster construction like it seems like they need maybe offensive line and uh, a new vice president of operations something like that and those aren't available in the draft so i actually had them stopping devin white's slide and also kind of predicting that they would trade telvin smith who tom coughlin threw a temper tantrum about the other day for not being at uh, what is the word voluntary workouts oh. um he thinks it means the opposite word of mandatory uh yeah exactly um huh. so he's 
he's confused about that and that's okay he's only in charge of the whole team so uh just let him do whatever he wants uh that old team and you got to send a message you got to keep these players in line so trade your best one for like a fifth round pick and draft a rookie at the same position so you can maybe like make a lateral move in a year (laughs) that was i have nothing to add to that that was that was pretty much uh perfect uh moving forward everyone's uh, low on greedy but how can you not take greedy williams he's a cornerback from LSU, if his name Greedy. was yeah, if his name amazing. was Jim or something, I'd be like, yeah, fine, who cares? But his name is Greedy Williams, and to be serious, I actually feel like he's a good candidate to get some inflation in the draft because, as much as people have a bunch of these corners that they like, uh, they're all like late first and then like second and third round guys, guys who are like DeAndre Baker, Rocky Asin, who it's like you can find reasons to like them, but their workout metrics do not merit like a selection in the first 20, 25 picks or so. Same with Byron Murphy, Byron Murphy. Right. I think in his case, you can kind of rationalize it. Cause if I remember right, he's pretty young. Like I don't think he turns 21 for a while yet, but um, yeah, in the case of Yasin, still though, I mean the, the frame's small, the, oh, yeah. the eighth percentile arm length and, and you know, a, a, 40 at a four five five i mean I'm, I'm sure maybe he can sprout into a little bit more speed than that but i don't know i got my i got my murphy concerns. right he would if he works in the nfl he'll have to be kind of like a pouncing kind of playmaking corner rather than like a shutdown coverage guy like uh marcus peters is very different build and everything but it would be that kind of player i think where he's he's not going to run with a top five receiver single coverage with no help but he might intercept six passes and like basically win you some games by just stopping a, a comeback drive, something like that. In any case, uh, I agree. Like I have him down at twenty five or something. And Greedy's the only one who has above average arm length, and he has the four three seven speed. Had some really good results at LSU. Like uh, did really well against the Mississippi guys, specifically Metcalf. Yep. So the NFL. On defense, as, as much as you like to have a great run defense, it's more important to rush the passer and have productive coverage. And Greedy Williams is the only guy, I think, who has like the potential to be the corner, a cornerback one on some team. I know that Detroit has Darius Slay. I still gave them Gre- Greedy Williams because they don't have that many needs on that team, especially with the... Yeah, they were tough to mock. Yeah, I've seen people projecting offensive line, and I don't really understand. I know that the metrics kind of took a turn south toward the second half of the year but at least early on they were just blasting huge rushing lanes open constantly for carry and johnson and he was taking full advantage of them and uh, it was rag now that they got last year they yes. have uh they have taylor decker who's awesome at left tackle can't remember the other glasgow should be fine he's like in his third or fourth year out of michigan and he was a totally decent prospect so you know there's like 17 glass nows or something yeah it's uh you know he's they they just switch out for very it's they, wild man uh, they're gonna they're gonna have like uh great longevity from just one they only play like four games a year like they just keep switching out and <laughs> reporting for duty but anyway i don't know if the D- detroit really needs a ta- an offensive lineman there i guess if they did it would be either jonah williams or uh Juwan, what is his name again Juwan taylor Juwan taylor yeah i watched a little bit of Juwan taylor i didn't really get the big deal i know that, that left tackle ivy looked terrible when i was watching but oh yeah uh with taylor i guess it's it's one of those things there's quite a bit of projection like they're banking on that he's just kind of naturally talented and he is young 
So that there's something to be said for that. Like if you have the tools and you're raw and you're also young and it's like, well, maybe in a year he won't be raw anymore. And then you just got this guy who's got tools and skills now. And maybe that's what's going to happen with him. Um, but yeah, in any case, it would be those two, I think, at eight, if that was Detroit's uh, interest there. But I, I don't know. They they don't have that many needs and they're going to like a constricting offense with Bavel going there. So I don't think it's on offense generally where they have needs. It's like the defense needs to get better to clamp down on the lessened ambitions of the offense uh, in response to the lessened ambitions of the offense. Looking at uh, Mike Clay, you know, it, it's not an exact science here, but he, he's got pretty good sort of position unit rankings and he's got, uh, as, and it's color coded, so it's easy for me to read right, right, right here, which is great. Um, Love colors. Me too. Give man. me colors. And when they're, when they're darker, it means one thing or the other, but um with the Lions, uh, it looks like linebacker is still a bit of a concern. I know they, they used a fairly high draft pick on their... Jared um, Davis hasn't turned into anything. Nope, which I... Yeah, I they had a but. bunch of snaps last year to Devin Kennard, who basically did nothing, and then, like, Christian Jones, I want to say. So, yeah, maybe at eight... Uh, I mean, if, if Devin White was there, yeah, that would be would, pretty compelling. Yes. And even Devin Bush, I didn't have him in my mock until 20 for, to Pittsburgh, but it's it's so funny how similar those guys' prospect profiles are it's like wow four four three four four three uh they're both uh relatively short and uh they both have like top 95 percentile three cones by cornerback standards and <laughs> uh it's it's really funny how it's, you know the the devon dovetailing as well so yeah it's it's those guys are very similar i think um i guess i guess white's production was much more voluminous so you can put him ahead and and was lsu's defense better than michigan's the past couple of years Ooh, that's kind of up for debate really i guess I, th- so. I think michigan i think by like the metrics metrics like bill connelly's s p um they he pretty firmly had michigan as like the best defense hmm. for most of the season then it got completely exposed i think there's like that this is a bit uh far afield for me but there's some interesting uh conversation going on x and o stuff about the stuff that don brown runs at michigan and, and like the ways that it can be beaten and we saw it in the Ohio State game, and we okay. saw it big time when Haskins just dropped like sixty points on them. But to your to the larger point, I do think that Devin White marginally better than Devin Bush, but both very good, very similar. So yeah, I think Bush is totally in play for a top ten pick, especially if if White goes to Tampa or if you know if for whatever reason uh, White is off the board in the top five, then I think that that would be really good news for Bush, of course. Yeah. So I yeah Bush. Like by virtue of, of White going going you know somewhere top seven top eight, like there are a bunch of teams that are going to be looking to to get him, and I think you know if he falls to twenty that that's that's something that'd be interesting. But I really think that I think fifteen would would be his like kind of bottom floor. Yeah, and for what it's worth, I projected a trade that I don't know what sort of thing to expect with Josh Rosen exactly. So fifteen, I kind of made a f- like. A fake I guess market. The Redskins wouldn't want to want to pick him, but well, in any case, they they might be looking to trade uh, up, I guess. And I get like I can't remember who it was. Apologies to whoever it is, but I saw somebody on Twitter mentioning that the Jets might be trading with Washington, or like Washington might be one of the main candidates to move up. I don't know why. Like I, as much as I really like Haskins. I don't feel like going from 15 to three to take Caskins would be necessarily a better move than just kind of, I, I don't think it would take that much to get Rosen because 
it is not an option for them to keep him on the team. If they keep him on the team, they're just going to give him away to the highest bidder, whatever the highest bid is. So I don't think if if people are like looking for a particular like precedent in the past for what they can get for Rosen, that it necessarily bears anything and bears any merit in this case, they, they could get Rosen for surprisingly cheap. And, as much as I like Haskins, I would probably rank Rosen ahead of them would. as a prospect profile kind of thing. And I know the lost year on the contract isn't good, but they could. I, in the projection that I gave for this trade, it was basically Arizona trades Josh Rosen and their second round pick in order to move up to 15 and get another third rounder from Washington this year. So not nearly as much as they would hope for but they can like Kime can call it a win because it's like ah, i got a first round pick for him even though he actually just traded up 17 spots basically uh so that's what i project there um but yeah if it's if it's the jets uh, well i guess they're already looking to move darren lee so they wouldn't really be looking for an inside linebacker i don't know um in any case uh i agree with you that bush is like one of those guys who seems too good to fall where i have him going and yeah all all the the only defense that i really have for that is it's just like maybe something weird will happen i don't i don't think it makes much sense either i just i couldn't really you know figure out a better way it was like 18 minnesota should have took him but it's like they got a billion dollars on anthony Barr for some reason and then eric kendricks is there already so they can't take him uh maybe maybe the giants just don't take a quarterback and he goes 17 something like that i don't know yeah, I think you you laid out some of the the reason behind why why Bush might fall. I mean, again, in today's NFL, uh, having a productive pass rush and uh, pass coverage are kind of you know. And he's five eleven, and teams can be weird about that stuff. Like I'm trying to remember the last five eleven guy who went really high. Like back in the day, if you were five eleven, like you just were not going in the first two rounds. I mean, that's like why Ray Lewis went went in the twenties. Yeah, and he was. I think he, wasn't he six foot or something. Anyway, maybe they goosed that. I don't yeah, know. but he was. Uh, yeah, he was. I'm sure similarly terrifying at Maryland was a Ray Lewis. Oh, Miami, Miami. right? Oh, crap. Uh, his, his son was at uh, Miami for, or for, for Maryland for a bit. Yep. Why I'm and confused. A, a Briefston as a Utah State Aggie as well, I think. Right. Correct. Yeah. Anyway, uh, see all this great trivia you guys learn on this podcast, and you don't, you can't imagine it now, but it's going to save your life someday. It's the only mock draft on the internet. Yeah, well, our our podcast stuff like uh, Ray Lewis's son, believe it or not, was at Utah State first, and you, like no one else at the bar is going to know that. You will. Uh, don't thank us. You don't need to. It's nothing. <laughs> but uh, to go back a little bit, at nine, I had Buffalo take Rashawn Gary because I feel like it just seems like something Brandon Bean would do. Like he, he he likes the toolsy players, or at least I don't know how else to explain thinking Josh Allen uh is good but uh anyway Rashawn Gary's gonna go somewhere his his workout numbers are insane and it's I, I don't really blame anybody for projecting growth with him as much as I would probably pass at, at that point um Dwayne Haskins I had going to Denver that's that's kind of to be honest just me using like tournament strategy because it's like it just as uh it's it's ridiculous how much how, how thick Gettleman and the Giants have laid it on with Daniel Jones like John Elway has basically walked around in public with a Drew Locke custom uh, Denver Broncos jersey the past two months. Oh yeah, and that would be a weird thing to do 
being way back at the 10th pick it's like it'd be totally easy for somebody and maybe somebody will trade ahead of the broncos and take drew lock for that reason um but i have him taking dwayne haskins over lock uh why not i don't know uh weird thing by the way i don't remember the guy's name but i've, I've probably like new york star ledger nj.com of whatever sort writer published today or yesterday a conversation of with oh, dwayne haskins I read that very bizarre yeah it's weird i get how it's it's certainly worth noting because the nfl will penalize a player for that i don't think that it's necessarily legitimate because the the guy's crazy. Dwayne Haskins' father is nuts. If you read the transcript, it doesn't sound like he's particularly lucid. He said the word core values about like 80 times. It sounds... I would imagine to be like a three-minute conversation, it, but he never said what they were. Yeah, it looks like a senile person talking if yeah. you look at the transcript. And that doesn't mean Dwayne Haskins listens to him. It's just Dwayne Haskins is what? 20, 21. He mm-hmm. probably doesn't want to talk to reporters. He probably thinks it's tedious and boring and he doesn't understand why anyone cares. Like he's just kind of like, leave me alone. Or and it, and especially at this stage, it's like, close the doors, like leave. Yeah. Get away from me. Like, just let me have this for the next two days until it's draft time. Yeah. It's for all we know to Dwayne Haskins, his father coming up to him and saying, you got to let me talk to every reporter. That might sound to Dwayne Haskins like, listen up, I take out the garbage in this house. I clean the bed and stuff. Like, that's... Oh, it's okay, Dad. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, oh, you, all right, sure. I was. I won't stop you. Like, it doesn't... They, they assume that because there's this guy, whoever, whatever his name is, of his dad is, they assume like, oh, Dwayne Haskins gets put in a kennel. Uh, his dad keeps him in there in between games and tells him what to think, and they compared it to Eli Apple and his mom or whatever and it's like well how did that work out for the giants exactly did the saints not get very good play out of eli apple was there a single problem when he got to new orleans or was it that the oh right the giants front office is what we're talking about again aren't we and dave gettleman is a goofy you know he's not like a crank necessarily like tom coughlin but he's a goofy petty narcissist he's, he's got a hubris issue th- like thinking that uh because he feels fondly toward eli manning that makes eli manning good like that's the kind of stuff that gettleman thinks and so he, he's almost like using divine right of king's logic and and like looking at his station as the gm of some team and thinking like anybody who uh gives me any hassle at all is just a bad person that's just the rules and you know eli apple wasn't necessarily a problem on the field or off and, and his mother or whoever for however annoying they might have been it didn't bear out in any sort of result or were we crazy and did the saints actually get torched in coverage constantly after trading for apple because it seemed like it was the other way around they were getting torched they traded for him and then they couldn't get thrown on again really yep so i don't know the eli apple case all this stuff is complicated uh, and it's it's like you can't penalize a player for a goofy parent generally, or else the Cowboys wouldn't have drafted Tyron Smith. Yeah, like his family situation this was. This isn't a problem that just like started happening over the last three years or right. whatever it's been. Yeah, it's, uh, Dwayne Haskins is not the only player who's got like an insane family member or yeah, or like I mean, some kind of goofy patriarch that he doesn't feel like look quarreling at the, look at the with. Top of the board, man. I mean, I think Kyler Murray's dad. I think oh right, yeah, too. Right, yeah. It's, it, there's all kinds of weird psychoanalysis speculation you could do on players and their families and it's like Dwayne Haskins has had no problems like this isn't a 
I don't know. It's it's a goofy thing to look into, and I, as much as the, the the reporter, I understand him disclosing that because it is worth noting in the sense that the NFL tends to penalize players who have situations like that, especially if it's like, especially if it's just like we we don't care what you tell us, like we're going to do what we want to kind of thing. Um, oh, who can who can forget the Manning family? Just said we're not going to play for the Chargers. Like that's that's a that's, that's a goofy that's parents. valiant behavior in contrast for some reason. Sure. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's crap. And and even even the article as it was published, you could tell it was just like this guy didn't talk to me. Like he he didn't you know respect me in my position as a reporter and i'm you know who does he think he is and it's like it doesn't matter like it your feelings got hurt that sucks whatever but um it's only noteworthy in the sense that it's like keep in mind nfl teams might penalize him for this like the article went to like a great length to like imply that it was like this this guy's bad dude and like man dwayne haskins is probably just gonna be like controlled by him forever and it's like you don't need to make those implications just like just say like yeah dude's dad's pretty weird some coaches might not think so fondly of him like that that's that's all you really need to do with that information um in any case so that means the Bengals are all about him then i don't know they like (laughs) they like more uh like overt criminals i think oh that's true uh Dwayne haskins has done nothing wrong <laughs> um but yeah I, I feel like um he's pretty clearly the second best quarterback in the draft and i don't even i don't honestly i i shouldn't i shouldn't like be this optimistic but i really honestly don't think the giants have daniel jones ranked ahead of him i think it's even if they do have daniel jones ranked as their first quarterback it's because they just like hunted implicitly on the question of of uh who the best one is and instead are like well we're going to take one later like we're not going to be in the haskins market something like that because if you really think that daniel jones or yeah, screw it even drew lock if you think they're as good as haskins i think you're just not looking at the picture honestly yep um so i would think it would be pretty reasonable for john elway to get sold on Dwayne haskins i think it'd be a really good move i think it, for the same reasons we talked about in the last podcast why it would be good for Locke, i think it'd be good for haskins because i think fangio is going to put forth a really good defense um the mile high factor gives them a goofy home field advantage i think it would be a nice low pressure scenario for a quarterback because obviously Flacco's starting this year so i think it would make a lot of sense and their roster has surprisingly few like actionable needs like there's things that they need but not necessarily things that they're in a position to acquire anyway so it's like why not take a quarterback even if you're putting him on the bench for a year and there there are certain strengths to haskins games game that are you know in line with uh what flacco has so they they wouldn't have to reinvent the wheel if flacco goes out at, at a certain point this year like they're similar like players Haskin, yeah haskins can push the ball down the field as well as current day joe flacco i would think yeah and flacco like might be more athletic than haskins like it's it's totally a pocket passer uh transition and so yeah i think haskins would make a lot of sense at 10 lock would still make a lot of sense for the broncos uh but i I went a little tournaments logic there and i think the Bengals were are assuming in any case that denver will take lock if if haskins goes 10 i don't know what i don't know if they know what they would do i i have them taking drew lock just because like i don't know i don't have that i don't have a problem with lock as like a top 15 pick i wouldn't want to make that selection myself but there's only so much we can know about quarterbacks uh 
I'm certainly wrong about them plenty. So uh, just because I'm not gravitating toward Locke is not grounds for me to like write them off. So do you do you feel fairly confident though? You know, Locke or otherwise that that the Bengals do go quarterback at eleven. I think it would make a lot of sense if it's Locke or Haskins. I I know that Will Greer put up big numbers and he was a totally uh, high recruit at Florida before that. It's not like he's some Big 12 trash or something, but I just don't – I'm not convinced about him exactly. And with Locke, I feel like there's at least more tools that you can imagine skill set growth within. Uh, with Greer, I'm kind of just like – I don't know. You just look like some quarterback who was good in college to me and maybe it'll be good, but not because it's like you're something exceptional or anything like that. So I don't, I would be surprised if Greer was in that range. Um, so if Locke and Haskins are not there for Cincinnati for whatever reason, I would think they would try to desperately trade back. But if not, uh, I don't know what they would do. Uh, Devin White or Devin Bush. Sorry. Duh. Oh d- yeah. Him, Brian Burns, something like that. I don't know. But yeah, I think they want to take a quarterback because Andy Dalton sucks and like the new regime is not attached to him. That's true. How much longer does Dalton even have on his deal? Uh, I don't know. I just I just kind of you know put him in we're, the mental. We're closet. not too too far away. Uh, okay. So he he signed a six year deal before the twenty fourteen season. Okay, that's uh, he's basically dispensable he's probably now. Almost out of guaranteed money on that deal, then. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up the over the cap dot com entry and. Uh, the internet is always great here. But Super it's, good. But uh, it's particularly... An, okay. Oh, there we go. Finally got in. And um, yeah, so they can cut him right now and there's no dead money. There would be $33 oh. million and $34 million in savings over the next two years if they cut him. Wow. Okay, that's uh, that's pretty decent incentive then. If, if, they do, if they have a quarterback that they like at 11, then yeah, I could totally see it now. I... I I don't know why I thought that Dalton was like somehow like locked in to be well the big reported number you know with those contracts and not like the real non funny money version of it but um, they could take a quarterback and still keep Dalton and try to rehabilitate his value and then you know trade him for like a fifth round pick or something to some team that considers Dalton stopgap or something but I don't know I I feel like Cincinnati has um, basically needs pretty much anywhere other than defensive back and uh maybe defensive line they're pretty set i don't know how much more work the offensive line could use but it, taylor they, would make some sense i guess yeah because they they re-signed bobby hart to a pretty big deal right Ugh, that's bad and uh they, they traded for cordy glenn last year right i know they got him brian price they spent a first round pick not brian uh, billy. billy price they spent billy. a first round pick on its center don't know what's going on at the guard position to be honest and so i don't know maybe don't maybe they are kind of cornered into taking a quarterback there yeah it, se- it seems like it but to, to your larger point also i mean uh other than other than cornerback uh there are several red areas according to mike clay in, in terms of their positional needs so they really could go several different directions here does it list offensive line and like Tight end? A, his offensive line is one of the worst ones in the NFL, even with them having addressed some of that. Uh, linebacker would be another one. Yeah, uh, linebacker, they're very thin. They only have Preston uh, Brown, who didn't play much last year, and Nick Vigil, who gets hurt a lot. And uh, 
some nobodies really so that defense could be pretty bad against the run this year and uh well they'll be bad in a lot of respects tight end listed too tight end they have nothing basically they have uzoma and they lost croft oh they re-signed eifert that's right right Um, but i mean they 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 know better than anybody that you can't rely on him i guess i like i'm skeptical of this idea that the iowa tight ends are going to be top 20 picks i know that i like I'm in the minority on that apparently, so maybe I should take that as a sign. Like I'm the one missing something, but uh, it would basically take Locke and Haskins going before the 11th pick, and maybe Cincinnati then taking Hawkinson. In my opinion, for those guys to to get serious uh, top 15 possibility, uh, but that, I guess that's the way I would need to guess that it happens if it happens. All right, so let's start moving forward here. Let's start getting into maybe more position specifics. Um, I want to get your opinion on where the first receiver is going to come off the board. So I projected DK Metcalf to the Packers at 12, and that's one of those things where he could go earlier, he could go later. I don't know. I think it would make a lot of sense for the Packers to get Metcalf because that would just totally change the look of the offense immediately. And Devontae Adams is obviously a very, very good receiver, but he doesn't make the defense just flinch off the snap the way Metcalf would. And that's not to say Metcalf is uh, going to be a better player at any point. And of course, he's not as good now. I just mean, when you have that kind of size and speed on the field, it fundamentally changes the entire way a defense will approach you. And in ways that will help the other players like it, it getting dk metcalf is a way to amplify Devonte adams because it's like if or if if they really want to have a safety sit on him and and risk the possibility of like the single high guy trying to run with metcalf it's like fine it's not gonna go you well want to try that do it yeah go ahead let's see what happens and and rogers i still have all the faith in the world in so i like the idea of, of like jump, jump starting his career by adding a player like metcalf i think if they took a tight end at 12 it would be barely forgivable like i would hate that so much uh they don't get any immediate enough returns uh the tight end position doesn't generally yeah and rogers it's like i know he's got maybe three or four years left but like don't waste another one you already wasted like 10 of them just stop doing that (laughs) like just stop (laughs) wasting aaron Rodgers' uh nfl seasons please um so adding metcalf is the kind of thing where even if he only has like 700 yards as a rookie I think it will open up a lot of big plays for other players too, because it's just, the seams are going to be a little looser. Like it's 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 going to add so much speed to an offense that's frankly very slow. There's not much speed on that field at all. It's like Marquez Valdez Scantling is fast. Uh, that's it, and we don't even know how much he's going to play. Yeah, that's that's very true. So I, I think going after someone that can make the immediate impact on the offense would be you know at top of. Top of the need there for for the Packers. I thought that Hawkinson made some sense in my mock, but I think that you also bring up a good point that it probably that's you know that's an egg that takes more than one year to hatch, basically. Yeah, and I I think Hawkinson is very good. Sure. I think he's I think he's probably like a top twenty top twenty five pick to me. Um, I question that there's like this this desperate eagerness among the league to find the next big tight end. I think that's like. There's this little thing in the back of our collective football fan consciousness right now where we're we're kind of like idealizing players like George Kittle and and Travis Kelsey when it's like guys like that just never really happen. And uh, I know Fant at least is similar athletically to Kittle, um, but I think they were very different players coming out. Even though he was a fifth round pick, I was higher on Kittle uh, because I thought he should have been like a second and third rounder. And even then, I only had him that far back because he was hurt all the time at Iowa. 
But uh, yeah, I just don't think these guys are that. Like you for for to have a Kelsey or Kittle, you need a guy who's like six five to sixty or so and runs in the low four fives roughly. Uh, Hawkinson was really great like with the jumps. Howard. Right, OJ Howard is is far better than these guys in my opinion. And again, I think Hawkinson will be at least a Pro Bowler several times and an All Pro definitely within his reach. Less, I'm less high on Fant. Uh, that's one I, I would be sickened by if they take Fant at twelve. I would be shocked. I, I don't see that happening. Another uh, kind of interesting turn, uh, kind of more just like a, a coming home in your mock here, because you were one of the original like. Marquise Brown is really good. I don't care that he's small type of guys. And then when the foot injury occurs and he's not able to test, you know, you, you understandably were a little bit more cautious with where you were ranking him. Now, as the week of the draft is here, you have him going inside the top 20. Yeah, I had him 19 to Tennessee. Maybe that's not good thinking on my part because a three receiver set of Brown, Humphreys, and Corey Davis, that's still two out of three who pretty much can't block or you can't expect much blocking out of anyway. But Humphreys is not going to have any downfield presence. He generally won't have a presence beyond like seven yards in any given play. Uh, Corey Davis, I still think will be very good or maybe he needs to be in a different offense to be as good as he can be. I don't know, but I think he's really good. But there is no downfield element if Taewon Taylor is not the downfield element. And I'm still suspicious of that whole thing. I think Taewon Taylor is probably good. Uh, even I don't trust Tennessee to get the most out of him. Though. I don't trust Vrabel to do anything right. Like I just, I don't think he's a very smart person. Like he's gutsy and like wily, but I think he's basically a blockhead. And I don't know. But like he he played defense, but he also like caught touchdowns occasionally. Yeah, I mean he that actually that, that whole part of his like player memory kind of is like a, a f- loosely decent analog for him as a coach because it's like. He is the coach who's just like beating his head against a brick wall on in the the one sense, but on the other the other sense, he's like, "Let's party, fat guy touchdown coming up." Like <laughs> like Kevin Bayard, you throw that thirty yards, whatever. I don't care. Like just stuff like that. Like he's he's bold and he's, he's he doesn't care about convention necessarily. But I also I, I think to be fair to him, he is aware that like sometimes numbers have like magical powers and you have to sometimes listen to the analytics guys in case that their alchemy is working particularly well today but i don't know if he actually like trusts it and he probably looks at it the way someone would like magic or something (laughs) he's just like well you know keep it in the basement but you know let me know if you make something cool down there like uh so I, i can imagine him kind of having various uh you know ostensibly analytically based conclusions of various sorts but i just i don't know if i don't know if he's um ever gonna get like the whole picture put together at the same time i think he's gonna be the kind of guy who like discovers something learns something but then like a little too slow and like something else is happening over here and he's like aha and then you know the new thing's happening and he's already trying to catch up to that i don't know um but taewon taylor not succeeding there is very strange to me because he still has been pretty good on like a per snap per target basis. It's just like, it just keeps coming out that they don't like him for some reason. And Tajay Sharp, who is a backup 
yeah. uh, always plays ahead of him. And, and they also were talking about having Taewon specifically in the slot. It's like, I don't even think he's a slot guy. He's like an outside guy to me. He's a field stretching receiver. Um, or at least if you're having him in the slot, don't just like reduce him to running drags and slants or whatever Tajay Sharp is marginally good at. So I don't know. I, I feel like they're they're not really on to the, the scent I, know, I think they're going to like make a lot of efforts to improve that team. And I think that the defense has basically no needs. Like they, they could have, you know, it'd be nice to have another Jarrell Casey on the defense, but um, they could use maybe another edge rusher. But it's like they got Landry coming up. Uh, they got inside linebackers, certainly. The secondary is pretty well staffed. Um, so if they don't have an offensive lineman to sign, and I guess like, didn't Saffold go there? Saffold? I'm, not, I'm not sure entirely. Uh, in, in, in any case, I don't think they have that many ways they can go. And receiver is one of the few that I can imagine. Like if they've decided they don't like Taewon Taylor, then they might want Marquise Brown because they know Adam Humphreys is playing in the slot. So it's got to be a downfield guy. I, I, my my actually unironic prediction for the 19th pick is it will either be Marquise Brown or it could be uh, Hakeem Butler. Those are the two. I'm not considering anything else. All right. I love yeah. that because, uh, yeah, the Titans were, were another uh, tough nut to crack. I, I had them going with Nkeel Harry, but uh, as, work as, too. as time has progressed, I, I think that um, I see Nkeel Harry going like maybe inside the top 40, like somewhere between 30 and 40 and, or maybe 29 or formerly 29 would have made some sense. Yeah, that but. Frank Clark trade was bad news for Harry and my or some receiver anyway. Yes. So, yeah, I, I think the Brown or Butler, you know, it's sort of a you know, a dealer's choice. Like, do you want the the small, fast, explosive guy? Or do you want the, you know, this guy with sort of just untapped potential, but nobody in like the history of the NFL has looked like this guy. And Butler would make a ton of sense because he would be easier for the blocking and they do intend to run as like the heavy foundation of that offense. So uh, Butler would make a lot of sense. I only went with Brown because it seems like the consensus draft, uh, like reporter media has singled him out as, as like a, a top 20 possibility. Whereas Butler, it's more like just, the fantasy community is high on yeah, him. The, yeah, it seems like the in terms of like the actual people with NFL intel have not been banging the uh, Hakeem Butler first round gavel. It's like he's got his fans, but they're not all teams. Whereas with Brown, it's like it seems like everybody agrees. Like ah, he's awfully fast. We would like to have someone that fast. <laughs> sure is. Um, let's see one one more receiver that you got to, um, or uh, you got a couple more. Uh, Indianapolis you had addressing that position as well yeah that was Paris Campbell that I went with and I know he's got his critics I think they're basically falling for a false premise the idea that because he didn't run downfield routes or because his average depth of target was anything in particular at Ohio State it means that he cannot do yeah, whatever 4-3-1 means that he definitely can't get downfield right and the thing is when you watch him it's pretty clearly not a case where he's just like catching shovel passes I mean he does do that but um, it's not because he can't catch other passes. It's like when he's in positions where he needs to make acrobatic catches on the run, he does it totally naturally. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have to like gather himself to do uh, wide receiver things. He doesn't have to stop and you know stutter his feet to 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 go into the next phase of his routes. They just looked at how easy it was to toss him the ball on a short route and watch him run eighty yards for a touchdown and thought, why not do it again? Why not make it as simple as possible? And it basically worked every time they needed it to. So, 
I don't know. It would be one thing if we didn't have the clips of him making the acrobatic catches, and it, but because they weren't far downfield when he did it. Like, watch some of his, even like his underneath catches that he makes. It's like he looks like an utterly natural pass catcher and, and runner after the catch. It's it's just like when you put him in a different looking offense, he'll start doing things differently. Devin Smith only caught passes 30 yards down the field. Look at him. Yeah, I I still have some amount of truth or belief that if he hadn't ripped up his knee a bunch of times, he would have at least done yeah. something. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I think it, it just it's one of those things where McLaurin and Dixon were doing a lot of the outside downfield things. And then Campbell would just kind of run lazy drag routes looking for where the zone was soft. And then he sits there and catches the ball and runs too fast for anyone to catch him. But in any case, I like that he's done that much at least because in Indianapolis he would probably have a similar function. It's Devin Funchess and T.Y. Hilton who would be running downfield, even Eric Ebron uh, further downfield. And I think the rest of the game will develop for Campbell if he doesn't have it right now. And I don't even want to concede that he doesn't have it right now. I think there's a possibility that if you just put him in some other offense in the NFL, day one, he can do everything. There's a possibility that that's the case. Uh, I don't know that it's the case, but there's there's no more evidence to the contrary, in my opinion. And in any case, in Indianapolis, he can just keep doing what he's already done so well. It would be like the underneath part of the field, the intermediate, while Hilton and Funchess are pulling the safeties and outside corners. Is he from there, too? Or is that... McLaurin that's from Indianapolis. Er, One of those two is. Yeah, I don't know. McLaurin, my bad. But oh no, but yeah, I think I think he would make a lot of sense there. And I mean, in that dome, he looks so fast. I I think he would make a lot of sense for Indianapolis. I I really like that call. I had uh, Jerry Tillery going there to twenty six, but I think Indianapolis will either get a fast receiver like him or they will go interior defensive line because now finally imagine just like the endless possibilities they have now that their offensive line it not only doesn't suck but is actually really good yeah and that defense was really good last year in the regular season at least but they definitely overachieved and i think they sure. know that and matt abersluce did an amazing job uh but we saw it immediately against the chiefs when they just started spreading them out and it's like yeah that tampa two thing oh, isn't God. gonna work man <laughs> it's, it's like you don't have Derek brooks I mean, uh, darius leonard is of course great but it's like you, you need warren Sapp and simeon rice and Derek brooks to make that tampa two thing work and it's not 1999 anymore unfortunately that is that is the case um any other guys that you wanted to talk about specific, specifically from your first round mock and then we'll just kind of end with a couple guys that we're going to see go on day two that that you think are going to be some of your favorite uh type of fantasy uh type of impact guys yeah i had the tight ends from iowa falling probably too far but i had fant go 30 and hawkinson go 32 i don't think like it, I feel like it would at least be unprecedented if, if either of them went in the top 15. Like I know it might be a possibility because unprecedented things can happen in any draft. Um, we don't have precedent until we do, and uh, that could be a case of that here. But Fant does not play as fast and as athletically in, in the functional sense as his workout metrics lead people to believe. And I think people look at the touchdown percentage on his reception rate and they look at those athletic metrics and they think like, oh, this is just like, this is going to be unstoppable in the NFL. And it's not true. Like we've got all a long history of hyper-athletic tight ends who didn't do anything. Guys who were even just as productive in college as Fant was. Uh, guys that were not the second best tight end on their own teams. So I think that uh, it's bad that Hawkinson outproduced him. I think Hawkinson is very good. And I know you can rationalize it. But like what's, what's wrong with getting outproduced by a player that you just said is really good? one of them is being or if if one of them was being projected in the first and the other in like the late second 
then I would be able to get on board with that because I still consider the other guy better. You know, like yeah. I, I don't really understand why people don't look at more tape of Fant, at least in the attempt to explain how he wasn't as productive as Hawkinson's. Like, doesn't that confuse you a little if you believe that he's better and he wasn't better? What, what are you missing? Um, and when you turn on the tape with Fant, he doesn't look that fast in that first like 10 yards of the field. Maybe you can bring out the best of him by just having him play receiver or something like that. And and he, he looks faster when he gets to like the open field and he kind of knows what he needs to do and where he needs to go. But Hawkinson always does. And when you look at Fant, by contrast, he seems kind of borderline sluggish off the snap. And in that first like five yards, if the, the more congested the field is, the slower he looks. And I think that could be an issue. It, it would at least be, I think, something that stunts his development relative to the assumptions that people are making about it. Like, it, it reminds me totally of an Eric. And people keep comparing him in a, in a favorable sense to Eric Ebron. It's like, Ebron was the exact same player last year that he was in Detroit. That's not this good. Time, this time last year, like, everyone hated Eric Ebron. They're like, wow, what a washout in Detroit. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where we know even some of the best tight ends take a few years if you're raw as a tight end as a prospect that's categorically not good because it's like what do we need to think five years of development time now look at jared cook that's precisely what happened look at eric ebron that's precisely what happened and he still wasn't actually good last year jack doyle just got hurt so i think um for people to compare fant to ebron i think shows that they've completely lost track of the bigger picture like that's not a good thing to be like eric ebron at least not with the expectations that we're putting on fant no i think that that's a really interesting way of putting that where it's ignoring the trajectory to to how ebron got to double digit touchdowns yeah and jared cook needed to be on what his third team before people stopped hating him so it's it's and and don't and and people are going to put the workout numbers it's like look he's no vernon davis and look jared cook was as good of an athlete as fant uh, is and uh it's it's just there's not much you could objectively say that fant grades better at than cook ever did or ebron same thing there we go um let's see all right so second day stuff all second right. day uh you know we'll we'll go through this quickly where do you see um the first running back going off the board and who's it going to be <sighs> i'm going to stick i'm, I'm going to stick to uh the line that i've been going with uh this is basically a mantra that i tell myself at this point to keep away the josh jacobs uh demons that are saying like a four six six is good actually he's the most talented running back since whatever and um i'm trying to ignore them daryl henderson will be the first running back the world needs some order there needs something needs to make sense in this world and and josh jacobs being the first running back picked over daryl henderson or even damian even damian harris like why would you take josh jacobs ahead of damian harris other than like just because you're feeling like getting wild or something i don't get it um but daryl henderson will be my first running back pick i i don't believe a running back will go in the first round i think maybe it it slides all the way to 45 where where atlanta is before we see a running back off the board it's not a good class you don't need to go taking a running back in this particular draft it's just not that like if if you are cornered into needing a running back in this draft maybe pray instead i don't know but it's it's just not a good market to need a running back in if you're chasing a running back and i think henderson like we were mentioning in a previous podcast if he had run like a 435 or a 44 flat then he's like a top 20 pick so that he ran a 449 or whatever doesn't really push me off um i feel like he would be a totally okay pick at like 30 
32, 35, whatever. But I agree that um, it's going to be tough because I don't think Tampa Bay is going to bail on Ronald Jones. And I bet I still think Ronald Jones should turn into a decent player. Uh, Dirk Cutter doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe Oakland at 35 would make Oakland sense. Oakland is a good bet. Uh, they have so many picks and they, they have, they might try to move. They might try to like trade one of those late first rounders for like a first rounder next year and a second rounder this year, something like that. Don't know if there'll be a market for it, but um, yeah, they have four picks in like a nine uh, or 11 uh, pick stretch there. Yeah, I think tw- pick 24, pick 27. Oh, sorry. Three picks in, a, and, in an 11 picks, pick 35. So yeah, uh, they'll have like, I had them taking a corner and a safety in the second part of the first round. In addition to Quinn and Williams. And it's like, well, what do we even have a need for now? Running back? Sure. I don't know. Like the, maybe they take Jacobs ahead of Henderson. Uh, Henderson does not project as a potential workhorse and Jacobs to be fair, has at least that kind of frame, um so if that's what they're looking for henderson won't be it but i i still think he's easily the best running back in this draft i do too i just again i, I think we're, we're in lockstep in, in at least the sense that neither are probably going the first round yeah but uh i guess we could see a guy like debo samuel go mel kuyper did the uh, i wouldn't be surprised thing so whatever he probably would be surprised he just wouldn't mind people uh, remembering it differently if Debo Samuel went in the first round but that speaks to that there's there's some real traction there that he has he could go I guess in the late first I would guess he's more like the 40th 42nd something like that but it seems like he won't make it out of the top 45 yeah it, it does seem that way um I wonder if Baltimore, if they trade out of the out of the twenty two spot, which I I've, apparently they're they're looking to do, okay, I think that they would definitely try to get inside the top forty with that pick because remember they traded their second uh, last year to get back into the first, okay, uh, to get Lamar Jackson. So I think that they want to address receiver. I think Debo Samuel fits with the Ravens really well um, and the things that he can do. Him so, and Harry maybe. I think I could see I could see either of those two, but I, I think they want a bigger or i mean i know debo is not like a huge guy but he's he's thickly built and i I think that he brings that physical nature i think they're looking for from the receiver position so if baltimore somehow maneuvers things around to maybe you know see what see what tampa bay wants at 39 for that pick or or buffalo at 40 i could see that type of situation playing out where and then samuel would kind of fit, uh, fit in that range that you were mentioning yeah i feel like there should be a handful of teams that want him and i know that the stock has fallen off for these three lately for some reason but i'm i'm confident enough that if their stock has lowered that the nfl is wrong and they will end up being good despite the misevaluation uh jj arcega whiteside emmanuel hall andy isabella I still have them ahead of Debo, even though it seems like Debo has much more momentum than any of them. And so particularly Hall, I feel like it would be weird if he got out of the top 50 because it's like he was so like, what did he do wrong? Like, what could he have possibly done differently to have higher stock than he than he does? Uh, His teammate was Jamon Moore. So he must just be Jamon Moore. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was so much more productive. Like He was productive at every point. The, I guess the durability is a fair concern. He didn't stay healthy for like any of those seasons. Um, but God, he's good. And if, if they seriously pass on him, uh, that, that would be weird to I me. See, I see him falling towards the bottom of the second round. I don't see him getting past it, but like, I think Kansas City at 61 would be awesome. They would be exceedingly lucky if that happened. I, I kind of hope it does because it's like – 
I have enough Damian Williams shares in best ball now that it's like I'm starting to get nervous about the whole <laughs> offense. And it's like, give, give, give me some receivers, please. Like, please. don't put Demarcus Robinson sucks. Do not put him out there, please. I, I am begging you, no, don't do that. Yeah, it won't work. Um, but yeah, so I agree with you. Like, Hall's probably late second at best. It looks like Isabella's kind of going into that range. Our Sega Whiteside could go like third, fourth round, which, which I think is, that's going to be crazy when he when he's as good as we know he's going to be. Yeah, I think that will age very poorly for the teams that pass over him. And uh, Miles Boykin and Mikkel Hardman, I think, could get involved in like the late second round. I think Hardman does not get past the third. I, th- I know a lot of people think he's like a fifth rounder. I, I think he will be one of the best picks in this class wherever he goes. I, I softened my my uh, stance on Boykin in the sense that I, I thought. He was more of like a workout warrior that way outperformed anything that he ever put on film. He didn't look like the greatest athlete again on film, but right. the, the, st- the polish to his game was a lot better than I was expecting. His ability to kind of use his body, his big frame, yeah, to like pretty shield, shield, uh, shield corners and safeties on both in-breaking and out-breaking routes, I thought was pretty interesting. He can obviously crush it on the jump ball uh, type of thing. And again, you know, when you're basically like a 99th percentile athlete and everything that you do at like six four almost 220 pounds and the film again better than i thought it was so um i i'm in on boykin being a potential top 50 i understand it now yeah i I actually have boykin ranked ahead of hakeem butler who i'm a bit contrarian on relative to the field but um yeah i have hardman boykin and butler in the same tier for dynasty purposes and um as much as i think butler will be the first one picked out of those three i i still think hardman could surprise people with and and not even just like surprised by going in the third i wouldn't be shocked if hardman goes like top 50 or something because he's so fast the the people that that know they know and they know that he's a top 50 talent yeah i mean there's an argument to to make for putting him ahead of isabella even or somebody like the production of course is not even close but it's like mikkel has been playing receiver for like a year and a half and he's, he's number one athlete in his yeah class. he didn't play receiver in high school he was like an option quarterback in high school mm-hmm. so he's just he's already pretty good and he's had no time to prepare for the task and he's got all the tools a uh, hard worker he, he seems football obsessed so i think nfl teams will love him and i just i want to formally predict he will be a top 75 pick and i wouldn't be surprised if he's a top 50 i like it i think that that's that's definitely uh, i think we're in a uh, an agreement there where do you think isabella is going because he is someone oh, that, that, that like he's his stock has had a, a wild ride from dating back to you know the end of the season where the the people that are just kind of into college football they're like this guy put up you know a zillion yards and a zillion touchdowns over these last couple of years like you guys are sleeping on him and then he crushes it at the senior bowl and then everyone's kind of gets over their skis and then he has an amazing combine and it's like oh my god this is just like almost out of control now is he going to go in the first round or something and you know basically since mid-march up through now all quiet i don't know i don't know where to predict where he's gonna go yeah maybe maybe uh the Chiefs have two late second round picks. Yep, 61 and 63. I could see Dallas taking him at 58. Maybe maybe even like the Eagles or Patriots at 56, 57. I don't think he'll fall out of the second. That feels a little too extreme to me because this is a guy who ran a 4-3-1 and was just – he couldn't have been more productive really. Nope. Uh, even in his not dominant years like preceding this one – Adam Brenneman was a tight end who was getting a lot of targets in that offense and he was a former five-star recruit who would have been like a second third round pick if he didn't have a career-ending knee injury so 
I think Isabella is he's got his limitations of course but his strengths are going to play like there's his limitations don't negate what he's great at it just limits you know the the level of the the number of with which he can take yeah it's like you can't request everything from him but the things that you can you can bank on and like those are things that every offense wants that kind of speed that kind of downfield threat the after the catch ability I would be shocked. The only thing that is that is, is a concern with him is basically the release and the catch radius. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if it's short routes, you're expecting him to do things after the catch, which he has the athleticism for that to translate. And if you're throwing to him downfield, well, you just we already know the deal. Like either he's open or he's not big enough to do a jump ball kind of thing. And so, but he gets open all the time. So, I think he's going to be totally good. I think if he does slide, it's basically because we're kind of like desensitized to how good he is because we've had so much time to overanalyze a really good really deep receiver class that we're kind of like rationalizing ranking whatever guy this high by kind of convincing ourselves that the other one isn't that good or something like that um i think it would age poorly if he falls out of the second yeah i I think so too i think he's definitely like a that top 65 uh type of talent um i think it's our sega that would slide and and maybe hall because of the durability or something and they might be like oh he's a track guy because he actually was a track guy um so do you have a day three receiver that you know like say say that uh, our Sega Whiteside and Hall both hear their names called by the end of Friday night. Receiver on day three that you see making an impact. Uh, well, we talked a little bit lately about Dylan Mitchell at yes. Oregon, and I, th- I think he's really good. I ranked him at 35, and the only reason I have him that low in my dynasty rankings is because it seems like the f- the same people who hate Ed Oliver and love Daniel Jones might also hate Dylan Mitchell. And so, I mean, we saw we saw not a not to compare them in any particular way as players but kenny stills people this gets lost in people's memories a little bit kenny stills only fell to the fifth round of his draft and he was only given this lukewarm reception by the nfl since then because of who he is like there is there is like just concern over his attitude and he's like a very like free spirit kind of person who just doesn't care about you know uh jock culture really and they penalized him for that he was a guy who put up huge numbers at oklahoma as a possession receiver by the way and that he's been rebranded in the nfl as just like a down a downfield specialist is a joke he's a total receive he's a complete receiver uh, but he, he ran like a four three seven he was a five-star recruit and then he falls at the fifth round and then with the saints he's doing 10 yards a target and then he's still pretty good when even when they trade him to the cursed dolphins um i think that's the kind of thing that mitchell is up against like i think if he does end up on the field somewhere his talent will speak for itself um but he's he's got to worry about these just goofy old cranks like looking at him funny basically yeah because i mean i went back and looked and i I liked him during the season or like coming into the year when you know it was sort of wide open as to who who the wide receiver one's going to be outside of like the old miss guys and then keel harry like you know who's who's sort of next I thought Mitchell was someone that I kind of identified as being, you know, the number one target for a guy like Justin Herbert. I thought it was going to be great, and it turned out to be pretty awesome. I mean, he was a 32% target share, so he was the main target. He's very young still. Yep, and everyone knew the ball was going his way, and he still caught it. He's still, you know, not over nine yards of target, over 1,000 yards on the year, nine touchdowns on on 120 uh, targets. Uh, Not like the greatest catch rate, but he's getting downfield a lot. Uh, Just really finds a – or has a like kind of a natural ease to get – 
open uh, in 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 finding yeah. soft pot, soft spot in zones. If you watch his film against Stanford uh, from this past year, really good play speed, really good routes. Uh, he tested totally good in athletic the testing too. So I like Mitchell a lot as like my as like my day three guy that's going to make a lot more noise uh, than people would expect. Yeah, I think he could be a Tyler Boyd kind of receiver if he ever gets the shot uh, quickly and uh, like. I actually have these two guys ranked ahead of him, but I think they're, they're day three most likely picks. Um, I'm also very high on Gary Jennings at West Virginia. I feel like he's maybe the most underrated receiver in this this class that has a few guys who are underrated. Um, I think I think he's a totally good receiver who can make it like an. I think he can immediately earn snaps in the NFL, and it wouldn't be shocking to me if they actually do like him. I just haven't read anything indicating that. Uh, the other one is Jalen Hurd from Baylor he's a weird one um but yeah former five-star recruit at running back for some reason even though he was six foot five and uh had really good production last year and like the Baylor offense basically reconstructed itself to accommodate him even though they had a few other good receivers by the time he got there guys who had been there for years Mm -hmm. and that was just him showing up became their number one receiver so he's like a six five 230 kind of guy who has had health issues uh he hasn't been able to run i don't think but if he if he were to run he's just, he's supposedly like a four four five four five kind of guy so he he might be kind of like your uh dollar store miles boykin kind of pick or something yeah he's he's got a unique background so interesting uh player to say the least any other parting shots before we wrap things up uh no i uh, can't wait for it to be over day three of the draft is the worst day of the year for us yep. uh just absolute torture i'm going to hate it just sweating and looking up eastern michigan guards no disrespect to eastern michigan i'm gonna I it's don't know the, and every time it's course. worse than the last one i don't know why but it's it's just it's just the indignity of it all is just more unbearable every time and i'm i'm gonna be uh just like a pouty little bitch for like I don't know, six months at least afterward. <laughs> the crisis mode I get into when we fall behind by like one or two picks is just, oh my God. Yeah, it's so just, just full blown panic attack. I'm just like, which one? John, Google, Google. <laughs> I just, I'd, it's google.com, go John. Yeah. It's, it's bad. I started using Ask Jeeves to find things. Yeah. It's like, like typing in Lycos and it's like, that domain isn't valid anymore. And you're just like sweating, turning red. Give me the Netscape, boys. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, uh, I don't know. I guess the point is everybody should feel sorry for us. They should. Yeah. We have to write about sports on a Saturday. It's just, just the absolute worst. But that's going to wrap things up for today's show. And uh, we'll be back. I guess we'll, we'll do a, you know, sort of post draft debrief uh, podcast we'll look, next week. We'll sort through the ruins. We and shall. And find, find the gems. Uh, so that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.